Here we go, Acts chapter 6. We're going to look at the first seven verses. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, oh no, I haven't practiced the names. Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now if you've been with us uh, and or listening in over the past few weeks when we've been in Acts chapter 5 and now in Acts chapter 6 it, it kind of feels like the church in Jerusalem at this point entered a season of problems of having to deal with problems in a way there was always the the problem of persecution that's been there from the get-go but we saw at the beginning of chapter 5 a problem when Ananias and Sapphira uh, introduced ungodly deception into the life of the church there was a massive problem Uh, later on we saw in later on in chapter 5 another massive problem if you like when the apostles are arrested and then flogged and warned yet again, threatened again to no longer speak in the name of Jesus. Now we come to chapter 6 and we encounter another problem in the life of the church. Each time we encounter those problems we see God turning it around to be a, a, a powerful blessing almost. Now it's maybe a bit harsh to say that of Ananias and Sapphira for their sin they died God brought judgment on them the the fruitfulness comes in verse 11 when it says great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events as it were the church is learning an important and valuable lesson at that time you don't mess with a holy God that that is a lesson for believers to learn because sometimes we can become a bit too casual we, we enjoy the presence of God. We might enjoy being a community together. Uh, we enjoy the grace of God and his wonderful forgiveness. And then we can start to think it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I lie. It doesn't matter if I deceive. I, I want to appear more godly than I am. And, and God, the early stage of that community, teaches them powerfully. No, don't do that. Do not mess with the holy God. That, that's, that's a positive lesson uh, to learn. Uh, we see then those the apostles when being persecuted, being arrested, imprisoned, being flogged. And you see you know, the great threat that that brought, but the clarity that comes in what they say in the midst of it, we must obey God rather than human beings. 
The God of our ancestor raised Jesus from the dead. And on they go, they explain, we're never going to stop teaching and proclaiming Jesus. That's the, the, the positive fruit that grows out of it right at the end of chapter, chapter 5. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Sometimes when the church comes under attack, if you like, it's, it's apparent. The pressure is on, the heat's been turned up, there's persecution, there's opposition, there's difficulty. It can actually have that effect, that it helps believers to realise what we have is the most precious good news in the whole universe. And so the church might come under times of, of that kind of opposition and attack, but it almost just spurs the church on to more than before. And now we get to chapter 6, and there is, there, is a, there is a problem. It's a real problem. It's a positive problem in a way. Numbers have been growing. That's good. We like that. Would that there were more churches that had to deal with that particular problem. There are too many people. We can't cope anymore. That's good news. Um, but it, they encountered a real problem as a result. However they handled it before, the system for making sure that widows in, in particular need were fed has started to break down. And not only has it started to break down, but there's a particular group that are being overlooked. That is a real problem, as we're going to see. But you see, how they dealt with it leads to this. The, in verse 7, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. We might think, well, why, why are we being told that priests became obedient to the faith? But was it because those priests could see just how well the church had handled that problem and were looking after the most needy in their community? And so when people, perhaps the compassionate people people, maybe it's their them doing their living, them working, uh, earning their keep, is actually looking after people. When they can see the church doing it really well, it kind of draws them in, they're intrigued, and think, right, I want to find out more. But in each situation we're seeing, problems turn into blessings, or problems turn into opportunities. Sometimes in church life we can feel like we hit a brick wall. Sometimes that happens in the Christian life. You personally will know this already. It's possible just to feel like you're, you've, you've, you've hit, a, hit a brick wall. Progress is impeded in faith or in life. You know, how, do I make, how do I make progress now? Well, we're seeing here brick walls turn into new blessings. So my, my slightly mischievous question this morning is, well, how do we do that? How do we see that happen? And we might think of that personally. But also corporately and as a church, looking at this particular church in Jerusalem, we could ask ourselves, how do we turn problems into opportunities? How do we see brick walls turn into blessings? And I've got four wonderful answers uh, to that question uh, from this text that I think we can apply in all sorts of ways. How do we solve any problem that we come across? I hope I'm not being too bold. 
Firstly, this is a bit mischievous, notepads at the ready. We don't. We don't turn problems into opportunities. We don't turn brick walls into blessings. We don't raise the dead. We don't answer prayer. We don't change someone's heart. We don't make someone saved. We don't perform, if you allow me, we don't perform miracles. We don't do the impossible. But we know who does. And we have faith in knowing and believing in the risen and exalted Christ. He brings dead things to life. He does remarkable miracles. He can change someone's heart. He answers prayer and he is alive right now. The great temptation for the church today is that we just think about what we're capable of. We try and think that our job is to solve lots of problems. We think, therefore, we could think, oh no, we've got to be expert in so many different things. Because there are so many different problems in the world. Oh, we need financial experts right now, like never before, because of the problem. Oh, we, we need experts. Now, that, don't take me wrong, because there are loads of problems in life. And if God uses this scripture to think, yeah, I want to, I want to work, I want to favour the most vulnerable in society. That's that is my brother, that's what I do. Then be encouraged by today. Be encouraged by what we're looking at. But I wonder if just the vast majority of Christians feel constantly almost under pressure to be experts in loads of things. And maybe part of my provocation to us today is we don't have to be experts in how to save the environment. We don't have to be experts in how to improve our nation. Our expertise is just this, knowing that Jesus is alive and he's at work and he hasn't changed and he is powerful and he is awesome now and here. Now and here, or possibly here and now. Let me show you this through the book of Acts itself. Because we could think, you know, Luke wrote one book, he wrote the gospel, and then he wrote Acts. Acts is short for the name that's often given to this book, the Acts of the Apostles. And it makes sense. As we read through it, we see what lots of them did. Well, we see what some of them did. Because after a few chapters, we really just read a bit about Peter and a lot about Paul and a few other people who weren't actually apostles. So we can still be left with the question, yeah, what did Thomas do for the rest of his life? What, what, what did Nathaniel do for the rest of his life? We're not told absolutely everything. But I could suggest to you, this is still the acts of the risen and exalted Jesus. We could re read through Luke's gospel and see all the amazing things that Jesus did. But just remember this from Acts 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So when you read Luke's gospel, we're reading about what Jesus began to do and teach. And when we re read the sequel, because it's a two-parter, when we read the book of Acts, we're reading what Jesus continued to do and to teach. This is an account of Jesus, by the Spirit of God, 
powerfully at work in his church on planet Earth. And it says elsewhere in the scripture that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we have a powerful risen Christ who is at work. Let me just give you a couple of recaps, a couple of reminders of the sorts of things that could happen. We could read in chapter 2 about the Holy Spirit coming in power on the church, tongues of fire coming down visibly and resting on people and people speaking in languages that they had never learned and a sound like a violent wind rushing through the place that caused such a commotion that thousands of people gather outside saying, what on earth is going on? Are you drunk? Peter comes to explain. You could just turn to this in Acts chapter 2. And verse 33, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. They're not drunk on alcohol, but Jesus on the throne of heaven has poured out the Holy Spirit. That's what's going on here. Jesus is alive and he is active. Later on in chapter 3, we find out about a couple of the apostles going past a guy by a particular gate in Jerusalem and seeing that he's been crippled from birth and they say to him, silver and gold, have we none? It's like they turn out their pockets. They don't have anything. Well, they might have had a tissue. They didn't have silver or gold. But what we do have, and they heal the man in the name of Jesus. Later on, in chapter 3, they give an account. In chapter 3 and verse, uh, verse 12, when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? That's Peter saying, this is not, we didn't achieve this. This miracle, this healing, this life being totally transformed, that is the power of God revealed in faith in the name of Jesus. It's the name of Jesus and faith that comes from him that has made him well. You get it when, the, uh, when the, the church are praying later on, when they're seeking God in chapter 4. Eee, let me find it. And they pray this in verse 29. Acts chapter 4 and verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Do you get the point? Jesus is alive and he's powerfully at work and he continues to be powerfully at work right now. When, when in the world or in the church or in your life we encounter problems, and maybe we go through a season where it feels like just one thing after another. And in our human nature, we start to get weary. We can start to think. These problems, it must mean that somehow Jesus has just withdrawn himself. I mean, I've read all about in the scripture the amazing things God does, but it's not happening right now. It's not happening for us. It's not happening here. It's not happening in this country. It's not happening for me. And we draw some ungodly, unbelieving conclusion. I guess maybe God has changed after all these thousands of years and he has backed off a bit. 
Or maybe he just got a little bit bored. Maybe he's less interested now than he used to be back in those exciting days in the book of Acts. Don't you believe it at all? That is a devious lie of the enemy. We've been, basically, our worship time was this message set to music. It's lovely. When we sang and Rach prayed out, you know, what's that line in the song again? I can never remember it when I stood up here. <laughs> Who can stop the Lord Almighty? And we're worshipping the Lord. That's why we're gathering. We are reminding ourselves, we are praising God, we're reminding ourselves and encouraging one another. Nothing and no one can stop the Lord Almighty. Maybe there's one group of people who can. This is mischievous. Unbelieving believers. Maybe sometimes we can resist the Lord. Jesus is powerfully at work. My encouragement to you is don't you believe your eyes, believe your ears. Because faith comes from hearing, believe. Remember, keep reminding yourself, you're worshipping a saviour who rose from the dead. Is anything difficult for him? Is anything hard for him? In our human nature, we're so prone to, to self-reliance. Uh, the Galatians get challenged on this. Uh, in Galatians, chapter 3, reading from verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh, by, by human effort? Do you hear that little voice? Always whispering. Try harder. You're not good enough. Do more. Do more. Come on. We need our eyes opening. We don't need to be experts in every global problem. We are called to be those who know and believe in the risen and exalted Christ. That was point one. Oh man, life. Here comes points two, three, and four. <laughs> so we overcome problems by knowing and believing in the risen and exalted Christ. That also means, or rather, furthermore, how do we turn problems into opportunities? By beholding the beauty of the body of Christ. That Jesus is powerfully at work on planet Earth by his spirit through the church. And we might be all too concerned and, and worried about how the church has messed things up in previous generations. I don't mean to dis, diminish mistakes that have been made, massive mistakes in the life of the church, but let's just say the other side. The other side is this. The church, the body of Christ, is the most beautiful body on the face of the planet. We win the competition 
for the most beautiful body on the planet. Now, if we had been alive in Luke's day and we'd walked and we'd seen Jesus walking through the crowd and about to perform some miracle, we may have thought to ourselves, he doesn't look all that beautiful. You know, the only description of Jesus' physical appearance in the Bible. Do you know that? The only clue as to what Jesus actually looked like, because the Bible says very little about it, is this. He had no beauty or majesty to, that might attract us to him. So if we saw Jesus now, if you like, as he was, just walking around in Palestine, we might think, well, he's utterly unremarkable. He may not have had a very symmetrical face. He, he may, there might be some features of Jesus' physical body, which by the standards that we have in our mind for some reason, would actually class as a bit ugly. But, if you draw near to Jesus, and, and he pushes through the crowd, you push through the crowd, you see how he was with that child, or you see how he was with that woman who was bleeding, or you see how he was with that man in the tombs, or if he comes to you because your skin keeps falling off, and he placed his hand on you, and he touched you, you are now encountering the most beautiful person that has ever lived. And Jesus is delighted to be so closely associated with us, his church. He says, you are the body of Christ. And we could say of Jesus, you're the light of the world. And that's true then Jesus could turn to us now and speak to City Church Sheffield and the church on planet Earth and say, yeah, that's true. But also, you are the light of the world. Oh, no, no, it's not about us, Lord. It's about you. No, it is. The good news is about us. It's about being part of the church. And right here, you see the beauty of the church. You might think, well, this is a slightly... It kind of seems like an ugly moment, really. There are people who are hungry. That's, that's not good. The, the church at this point is not doing all that she could to look after people in real and desperate need in their number. That's not beauty. I, I'm not portraying that as beautiful. What I'm portraying as beautiful is a few other things. That there are some people in the church who go to the apostles and say, there's a problem, guys. There's something that needs your attention. And what's beautiful is that they do that. That is good. That's real partnership. That's not, oh, they're, they're, they're unapproachable, uh, they're a bit busy, I'm a bit frightened of them. It's like, this is a beautiful moment of people going up and saying, there's something that needs to be done here. And what's beautiful is that the apostles don't turn to them and think, you unkind, divisive critic, away from me, how dare you criticize the regime? No, it's a beautiful moment. We don't even know if the complaint came out very well, whether it was really calm and considered, or if someone just lost their temper a little bit. Said, this isn't good. 
either which way. It's beautiful that the leaders of that community could, could learn to listen and say, I think you're right. I think we need to do something. It's then a beautiful moment that the apostles can gather all the believers. That speaks of a people who really understood the beauty of being the church. Yeah, we are a people. We are a community. We are together. They've asked us to come. We're going to go. We're going to gather. They gathered the whole community. There's something so important it requires all of us to get together. Newsflash, we'd like to do that occasionally. I mean, I know effectively we do it every Sunday morning. But just with that nudge from the Lord that we should pray and fast. We had that thing earlier in the autumn. We should have some fun. We, we, should, you know, we should have that weekend. Oh, slightly awkwardly, it just happened to be the, the weekend when we also marked the Queen dying. But thought, we're still going to do something. We, the church, we're still going to gather. Why? Because I think we need to have some fun. And we do. And that's good. That's beautiful. But the next step for us as a church is let's gather to pray and fast. And I don't know what date we'll do that yet. But maybe soon enough. Just getting a bit extra time together to seek God and ask him more to follow. The church is beautiful. The apostles are able to do that. The disciples receive what the apostles say as Jesus at work. There's, there's, there's wisdom here. We can get behind this. It's amazing. It's a beautiful moment. Basically, the apostles say, you go away and choose seven people and then bring them back. So, okay, we're going to do that. Rather than people kind of coming to the leaders and saying, this is, this is all on you. You deal with it. And if you, we don't like how you deal with it, we're going to leave. It's like, no, it's, it's faith to be a community. Faith to be a people learning and hearing God together. Part of that beauty was in the fact they'd already been a people who were giving. They were being generous. This is a little bit awkward, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's so much easier to say, church, be generous in ways that are entirely personal to you. Work out in your life how to be a generous Christian. The beauty of what was happening in this church is that people were deciding they weren't being forced to sell possessions, sell property, and they brought the money, and what did they do with it? We find out at the end of chapter 4, they laid it at the apostles' feet. We are giving this to you, the 12 apostles, because we trust you and because we reckon you're going to do helpful things with this money that bless other people. Part of the beauty is that that's the sort of community they were. Now, they need to make some changes, as we're seeing in this passage, to how they handled it. But part of the beauty was a people identifying themselves as a community meant by faith, giving to that community. It's really awkward. I'm just hanging there for a moment. The, the same thing is true that we say every time the blue buckets are passed around. You don't have to. There's no pressure. And the same thing is true that we say in every intro course. As elders, we don't know how much people give. We never find out how much people give. It, it won't curry favour with us. We won't think better of you. We won't think worse of you. If you do or you don't. But if you've seen something of the beauty of God's church, you probably will give to the local church that you're a part of. 
And if there was some like, massive reason, we just felt, I don't, think, I don't feel I can do that, then, then it might be an indication there's another church to go be part of where you feel that you could. Sometimes there might be some massive pressures on us, and we experience this personally. Think, do you know what? Sometimes God's just daring us to be bold and be courageous. We can see this financial issue coming. How are we going to meet that? How, what are we going to do? Let's trust God and give. Well, that doesn't make sense. We should be scraping it all together. We should be trying to make sure we've got enough to make ends meet. But God sometimes just challenges us and nudges our faith. Look, you're facing some challenges, facing some challenges. Trust me, just, just give, give some of what you've got away. Because I'm, I'm trustworthy. I think we can put God to the test. That was only point two. Point three and four are really another sermon. But here we go anyway, just very quickly. Let's know and believe in the risen, exalted Christ. Let's behold the beauty of the body of Christ. Let us devote ourselves to the word of God and prayer. How, does the, how do these folk in chapter six negotiate the problem? We could read this with a whole load of suspicion. We could think, okay, so there's a massive problem. And the apostles say, it wouldn't be right for us to do it. You, you go find some people to do it. And today, in our culture, we might look and we might think, what? That doesn't sound very servant-hearted. doesn't sound great. We could project onto the apostles their power-hungry, you know. You realize they just want to keep their position. Because that's what the world only has to talk about. The world doesn't trust the Bible, so it's going to find other things. And it will talk about power imbalance and other concepts that they might have some value. Let me tell you this, it's so important that they took that decision. Why? Because there are any number of Christian organizations, even Christian denominations, and they start this way. They start vibrantly faith-filled, devoted to God's word, rediscovering the gospel of Jesus, and it kind of sets off a chain reaction of faithful living and courageous acts of faith. And then comes the drift. And it might not come in the first generation, it might come in the second generation, but you go on through the years and you find an organization that started vibrantly, lost its way, or just kind of got taken into the world. I, I could give you examples of, of denominations, that would be a little bit contentious. I could give you an example of my previous employer, I used to work for the probation service. Hats off to all workers in criminal justice. And whilst I was there, in and around 2007, it celebrated its, its centenary, 100 years since it started. Do you know how the probation service started? People working with uh, offenders. They were court missionaries. In 1907, there were missionaries who went into British courts and said, Your Honour, I know he's stolen, but let me have some time with him and I'll see if I can get him on a better path. Okay? Rather than send the guy to prison, over to you. They were missionaries. That's how it started. So many things in our nation started as passionate works of faith by people who believed the word of God and then the drift happened. It doesn't matter what group we're a part of. No name, no label. 
is a guarantee of that not happening. Oh, thank goodness I'm in a New Frontiers church. Doesn't cut it. We're Christ central. God be thanked for groups of churches that he makes us a part of. That's no, it's no guarantee of anything. The only guarantee is if we build on the word of God. We, we cannot overcome problems. We, we cannot build the kingdom of God on some shaky foundation of just assuming we know what's true. That's what happens. The assumption gets made. I still believe the same things. But, but are, are you neglecting the ministry of God's word and prayer? It can happen to an organization, it can happen to a church, it can happen to an denomination, and it can happen to you. And it can happen to me. I still believe the same things. I still go along. Still raise my hand. But you've got to understand that life got really busy. There's loads more responsibilities now that I'm 42. Uh, life got complicated. Finances are a struggle right now. Uh, there's so many things I need to do that just the simple thing of spending time with God in his word, I'm sure the Lord will understand I can't get round to it because there's so many other important things. Are you drifting? Does that describe what you think? If it is, don't wait for things to settle down. Don't wait for the problems to pass away. Don't wait for things to feel simpler because they won't. I'm in a season of problems, but I'm sure I'll get over it. And then when things have settled, yeah, I will be more obviously devoted than I am right now. The problem is that time doesn't come. If that's you, today, if you've heard God's voice through this message, through Ginny prophesying earlier on, if you, today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. Do not lose the moment. Do not lose the opportunity to do something right now. To make a decision. Something's got to change, hasn't it? If you cannot spend, if we can't get to God's word, and prayer has, has dribbled down to the tiniest trickle, like we do the occasional arrow prayer, God help me now. If it's like, you probably, take this, this might sound a bit strange, you're probably in good company, but you better make a move pretty soon. Because you'll just be a Christian who drifts. I still believe the same things. The time will come when you say, I'm not sure I believe the same things. Devoting ourselves to the word of God and prayer. If that isn't part of your solution right now, make it so. And, fourthly, and for next time, we turn problems into opportunities. We... We see brick walls become blessings by becoming a people who are full of the Spirit. And full of the Spirit, so brief, full of the Spirit means faith for powerful encounters with God that knock your socks off. Where, where you would know, like Aidan knows he was baptised today. I don't think Aidan is going to forget the day with all his clothes on, he got into water and two guys sent him under and he came back up again. You, you remember something like that. You might not remember the exact day, but you don't forget getting baptised in water. So you don't, you don't forget being baptised in the Holy Spirit. 
We, we mustn't just think that the Holy Spirit only does things in tremendously gradual, tiny, portioned out little ways. You know, over the thousands of years, I'm going to become more full of the Spirit. The generosity of God is at stake if we do not believe that God powerfully impacts and changes someone's life. That when it says in Romans about the Holy Spirit being poured out, the, the love of God being poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, well, that doesn't happen now. Don't pretend that something's been poured out if it hasn't. We've got to be a people trusting that that's what God does. And if you want to ask God to do that, you just get on your knees in faith and say, God, that's, I want to know more of your spirit. But what's also totally essential that we grasp is that we don't just think of the Holy Spirit as the, the kind of strange uncle that kind of blows into town like once every 18 months and might do something strange. I've got some presents. That we're just kind of waiting for the dramatic moment that comes like once every few years. Paul would speak about sowing to please the Spirit. It doesn't sound very dramatic, does it? Are you, are you sowing to please the Spirit? If you want to be filled with the Spirit, if you want to be someone who's full of the Spirit, have faith for the massive encounters and sow every day of your life. Every day pleasing the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible would challenge us and it would say things like, are, are we grieving the Holy Spirit? If we're not watching our relationships with other people. If unwholesome words, unwholesome talk comes out of our mouths, we're grieving the Spirit. There can be moments when the Spirit just takes a step back because we're not obeying Him. We're not pleasing Him. We're pleasing the sinful nature instead. I wonder if I could just get away with, don't think like that. Every day, every day, sowing to please the Spirit. Not quenching what he does. Not taking a backward step. It's okay, because at the weekend, there'll be a meeting, and I'll be able to go to the front, and I'll get filled. So what can I get away with? Every moment, obedience to the Spirit, who wants to give us the words to say, in that tight spot, with that person who doesn't yet believe, in this situation over here, daring to share our faith. Let's just wrap up, shall we, because I've gone on.